So you're listening to another Jabronis Only. It's officially episode four, though we have a lost episode, so it's three in brackets, four. I don't know how, how you um, how you express that. I'm here in uh, sunny Stockport and over in, it's not Dewsbury, is it? It's Murfield. It's like a higher class version of Dewsbury. If such a thing is possible. <laughs> I'm talking to my, my co-host, Yorkshireman, craft ale drinker and one hell of a tough mudder, Tom Coates. <laughs> this is my I've been mowing the lawn so there's no sort of um, suggestion that I've been using this for anything that athletic it's just something just my just my garden wear if you like excellent the uh, well I have to tell you that I'd written this before I saw what t-shirt you were wearing <laughs> and do you know the reason I'd put one hell of a tough mudder already no go on it's because on your on whatsapp that's your picture of your you're you doing tough mudder ah it is a very flattering photo of me, though. Was it a tough, tough mother that you were doing in the picture? Yeah, it was. That was, yeah, that was 2016, I think. And appropriately enough, it looks like you're wearing UFC boxing gloves. <laughs> I don't know why I wore those, actually. I think I just wore them to look cool. And it worked. I do look pretty cool, I think, in that photo. So. Absolutely. But what would your um, UFC name be? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I do, I, I, you can come back to yeah, it. Yeah, we'll come back. I'll give that some thought and we'll come back to that. It's a bit, bit of a question to put somebody on the spot with. I also like the fact that you're calling it the lost episode. I, I feel like it, it it gives the impression there's hope that we're going to find it and release it one day. <laughs> yeah, it's like in a loft. You know, they always find like they, they found an old episode of Laurel and Hardy and and yeah. in a loft somewhere. And, you know, like they like BBC say they've came across things. And Oasis released another dreadful song recently, didn't they, that... Yeah. That was supposed to be a lost tape, tape or whatever. Yeah, there's there's the same like with, with bands where there's this obviously like collectors are like obviously really excited about the idea of finding something that's lost, but then invariably the thing that was lost and has been found is awful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's a line in one of my favourite songs by uh, by Orange Juice, the fantastic Edwin Collins, and the line is "Nothing worth finding is easily found." Try as one might. I know there's a lot of like Blink-182 stuff. Like I can remember, like probably five or t- maybe like ten years ago, if not more. Just this sort of fr- frantic search for rare music, and then you find it, and you, you do wonder why you bothered a lot of the time. And to be fair, I think the same same applies for that podcast episode. If we do manage to like <laughs> remaster it or, or whatever we do, and publish it, it's all, it'd be pretty bad probably. But, but obviously by that time we'll be you know seasoned professionals. So. Yeah, exactly, and there'll be a clamour for it, and. And people will ex- accept whatever it sounds like because they'll be so desperate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you won't remember, but that's what happened with the Beatles, that um, when they split up, by the time the kind of late 70s, 80s came along, there was a real kind of people were desperate for anything. They found they released um, an album. There's an album there's called Live at Shea Stadium, right. and it's dreadful. These were the de- days, you know, they basically invented large stadium gigs, the Beatles, because so many people wanted to see them, and it had never been done before. So basically, they, you know, they would turn up with what they would normally play with, and they're playing in a whole stadium. Right. On the tapes that they found, all you can hear is screaming, um, and you can barely hear the music. Yeah, yeah. And, but, but they still put it out as a record, and it's still a bestseller you know so that's what's going to happen to the lost episode <laughs> but you are listening to jabronis only this is our it's always funny it's always sunny in philadelphia a random episode podcast the random number generator agent jack bauer as we're calling it now uh, came up with another visit to series 12 which we've already visited episode four which is called uh wolf caller public relations nightmare and recorded on the 25th of jan 2017 does that mean 
we would have seen... Well, I know you always talked them out in uh, illegal ways, didn't you? Well, do you know what? Since the latest season came, I, I did. I waited for it to come out on Netflix. I got sent... I can remember for season 13, the season before last, somebody sent me a USB stick with all of them on. So I didn't do the illegal download and somebody else did. I just enjoyed them. And I've still got his USB stick, actually. <laughs> so if he's listening to this, I will send it back to you at one point. But yeah... I think it's always been a frustration, hasn't it? Like, you know, the classic you know, UK Netflix and we're always a little bit behind and I can't place how many months it was behind, but it was a, it felt like a significant amount of time. So, um, for example, the most recent one, season 14, uh, October, September, October, November, but I'm pretty sure we were well into the new year before I heard them. or watched them rather. Definitely. As you say, really frustrating for us over here. But I think... I always enjoy the fact that if you if you can wait, then you can watch them, you know, in in a, in a big batch. And the fact that you've waited and all that do, does add to it, I think. Yeah, definitely. Netflix is getting better. I mean, it was it's it's not so long since they added them. I can remember when they they added them all. I, it, I think it's a few years now, but you know, I remember a time where the only way I could watch them was um, with, with like the versions that are downloaded. It, it's using a torrent service to download them, but. Uh, you know the case for my defence. You know <laughs> the torrent defence. Coats versus always sunny. Is you know there was there was no other way of watching them. If there had been another way of watching them, then I'm hundred percent taking them up on the offer. So, but yeah, happily most of it lands on Netflix. You know, relatively quickly now. So yeah, uh, to their credit. Uh, so this is um, ten o five on a Monday. And the fact that it's 10.05, and usually I think they're quite random, but I think this is chosen carefully because of what happens right at the start of the episode. Because for it to happen really quickly on a Monday morning says something about the episode and something about the character, yeah, uh, which, we're, which we will get onto. Um, so, yeah, 10.05 on a Monday. Just outline the plot for us. I mean, the first scene is a brilliant one with, with Frank arriving in the bar, but without getting too bogged down in stacks, we will talk about it. The plot is that they discover that wolf caller, which is referenced in a smaller way in previous episodes as, as one of Frank's companies, is it, it's subject to a scandal because whilst Frank believes it's the official, uh, a very popular drink in Boca Raton, or Boca Raton, uh, which is a place in Florida famous for being a retirement city popular with Jewish people, Wikipedia tells me. that That's the impression that Frank's under, but then obviously the news is that it's it's actually popular with Boko Haram, <laughs> the uh, extreme Islamic terrorist group that operates in Central Africa. And then very quickly, the episode plot emerges, which is, uh, Frank, Dee and Dennis, who are implicated, are trying to clear Wolf Cola's name or Frank's fluids, the, the, the umbrella company, <laughs> clear the name. But then what I like about this episode is, is similar to the episode we spoke about previously where you could accuse them of being a bit lazy with the sort of plot deviation and, and finding a, a separate strand for Charlie and Mac because they, they mention that um, Frank's fluids also owns Fight Milk, which again is another product... Uh, referenced in a bigger way in a previous episode and then that immediately causes um, Mac and Charlie to explode in excitement, race out of the bar and start their own strand of the episode which is uh, reviving Fight Milk, rebranding Fight Milk, trying to make it successful with UFC fighters and that's really the plot of the episode and then yeah, I mean, we'll get to the ending I suppose Frank's Fluids, it's such a great name for his uh, his money laundering, one of his many mon- money laundering schemes. He's got Wolf Cola, which is introduced in a, a previous episode. As you, as you say, it's a, it's a great way of getting all five of them involved. There's another split in the group. 
which is, you know, cleverly engineered because he's got Dee and Dennis uh, on his side and Wolf Cola, and then he's bought up Fight Milk as well. And there's things referenced from around the time that are really clever. So when they go on TV to, to try and rescue it from a Wolf Cola point of view, from the reputational point of view, they go on a TV show. And the TV shows running tweets along the bottom. So it's it's great for a, a nod to the time. I mean, we're only talking about three years ago, but also uh, really clever by the writers to reference how people on Twitter can just like immediately, like the characters in Sonic, can just immediately change their opinion straight away because of one stupid thing. Yeah. So that's great, and we, we'll come to that. But yeah, that, that's basically the plot. And it's again, there's there's a um, there's a, a line that kind of sets everything up after the intro, which again will come come back to in a sec the first line d says she says how do you confuse uh, a city in florida with a terrorist organization in africa and that's essentially what happens in this episode yeah i think the first scene in this episode as well is one of the funniest the setups in a lot of episodes are brilliant but this one literally the first scene is frank marching into the bar slapping his bag of cocaine and his gun down <laughs> and then the first line i think from Dennis is, oh, somebody's chipper this morning. Yeah, it's, it's Charlie. But, um, oh, is it Charlie? Yeah, I, well, I've written exactly that in my notes here. It's uh, one of the best cold opens to the show yeah. that, that exists in the in the whole of the show. So, And the fact that he's like, he's kind of waddling and doing his little dance up to the bar and he's going, <laughs> yeah. go for it, go for it, go for it, go for it. And then he whacks down his bag of coke and takes a big, a big, snort of coke but yeah that and that go for it go for it i don't know what about you but if anybody says the phrase go for it in any conversation now that immediately pops into my mind <laughs> and occasionally i do catch myself oh i say you know go walking around the house going go for it go for it <laughs> so it's just like so good so good yeah so this um written by david hornsby and scott marder David Hornsby, of course, the fantastic cricket. And also, we will have a, an episode about cricket because we've mentioned him uh, a lot in the last episode, but he, he's pivotal to the whole world, to the, um, the it's always sunny in Philadelphia cinematic universe. But he's, he's also a key player, one of the main actors and one of the main writers of uh, Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet, which you haven't seen yet, have you? No, that's the Apple TV one, isn't it? I, I did read a lot about it and I, I have seen various trailers and clips and I think I think we had a, a chat about you giving me your Apple TV login, but that can't, can't say that's happened yet, Martin. So <laughs> yeah, don't don't sue us, Apple TV. But yeah, that might that there is a possibility that to uh, to round this conversation off, that that might happen. Yeah, that's just a possibility. I still don't know that I can access Apple TV though. You, you you you've made me believe that I possibly could, but I still think that I need Apple hardware to do it. No, well I've I've got it on my um my Samsung TV as a as an app. On Now TV. Okay. There'll be a way around it. But yeah, I, I thoroughly recommend it. it. There's very little of kind of Always Sunny in it. It's a different kind of approach. It's still got its laugh out loud moments. It's still a really good idea. It's a, It really is a, a good show. And a, a show that massively grew on me. It, there's a really good article, by the way, an interview with McElhenney that was recorded just before lockdown, which came out in The Guardian uh, by a guy called Kevin Kevin Perry. That came out on Wednesday. So, yeah, uh, he says, I was fueled by privilege, ignorance and testosterone, um, <laughs> says uh, Rob McElhenney. So, yeah, it's a really good interview as well. So that, that's worth checking out. I'll put it in a link for it in the show notes. But, yeah, so David Hornsby, who was, uh, who was cricket and is, is amazing because he's directed some of the show. He's an exec producer. He's one of the actors and one of the writers. So he's almost the, 
He's almost the sixth Beatle, isn't he, David Hornsby? Yeah, yeah, he's definitely, uh, even just looking at him on the level as being a periphery character, he's, he's the biggest periphery character. I suppose you could, maybe the waitress pushes him close, but when he's in an episode, he tends to have a big role. And he, he's just such a good jumping off point for the rest of the gang, isn't he? Like He's like somebody lower down the food chain than all of them, which is vital for them to have. Yep, and then you've got Scott Marder, who again is one of the big players in the production team. He's one of the exec producers, contributes writing as well, and has written for The Mick. Have you seen The Mick? I think I did, yeah, when it first came out. Yeah, it's the, the spin-off. Well, it's not a spin-off, is it? It's a... Well, it's with Caitlin Olsen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But she's very much D in that. That's the... Um, I'll say the, the trouble with it. What You know, why shouldn't she? Why shouldn't she, why shouldn't she milk that? But basically, she's a D-type character, goes to her sister's family who are very rich, and she ends up having to bring up the kids. And she does it in a very D kind of fashion. Oh, okay. Basically ends up ruining these kids' lives. <laughs> so if you see it like as a, as a sub-genre of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, it's, it's worth watching. But worth checking out. All right. It's yeah. worth checking out. So he's the lead writer on that. Also one of the writers of BoJack Horseman, which I absolutely love. Yeah, I love BoJack Horseman. That is a series that really kind of developed. The, the last couple of series, a real kind of affection for where all the characters were taken in that. I really like it. Yeah, it's a, it's a very preposterous concept, isn't it, when you first watch it? But it's, it's yeah, I really enjoy it. And I think some of the humour in it is quite clever as well. Yeah, and I'm a massive Will Arnett fan, so I think I was I was always going to watch it. Yeah. And then the other one of the other writing credits is Family Guy, which I'm not a Family Guy guy. Are you? No, not really. Um, when, it, when it first came, came about... I remember watching it. I think I watched it at uni quite a bit. It's not, it's, it's not something I seek out, and it's uh, it's not really the humour that the sort of humour that I enjoy. I feel there's just too much cynicism to all the characters, and I feel all the characters are just a little bit too streetwise. And I was trying to sort of try and put my finger on what it is about it I don't like, and I think that's what it is. There's, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm seeing something that isn't there, but I just get the impression that the the the, the sort of demeanour of the characters is that they're all a bit. A bit streetwise and a bit bit hip. I mean, I know there's like Peter's obviously quite gullible and throughout it, but the rest of them just all seem a bit too cool for school for me. So, but yeah, I don't mind it, but no, not a huge fan. That's a really, really good observation because th- I think that's what I feel about him. Oh, thank you. And I hadn't thought about it before, but he is quite gullible, but not in that charming, innocent ends up hurting himself way that Homer Simpson is. He's always in a kind of kind of knowing way where he'll have a way of getting out of it. Yeah. Interestingly, I enjoyed, um, there was a spin-off called The Cleveland Show. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed that. I li- yeah, I, li- I really like The Cleveland Show as well. I felt it had better jokes and better characters, The Cleveland Show. Yeah, I haven't watched it in a few years, but I did, I, I watched it when it first came out. And I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed The Cleveland Show. I'm not a big fan of American Dad. Oh, never. I've probably watched about 20, uh, 20 seconds of one episode. Didn't like it. No, I've given it a few chances. I mean, again, it's something I probably haven't visited in a few years, but I remember I've given it a few chances in various scenarios and never really got into it. It's strange. So, I mean, you know, by rights, all three of them should be fairly similar. And if you like one, you like all three. But it's strange. I, I, you know, it'd be interesting to see it. How, how other people tick the boxes and if they do like all three. Maybe you can run a poll on our Twitter, find out what, you know, it's, it doesn't really have any context to always study in Philadelphia, but I'm interested to know. <laughs> yeah, interesting sidebar on uh, cartoons on Netflix. Uh, as we're doing it, I'm just going to w- mention one more 
which is F is for Family. Have you seen that? Yep, seen F is for Family. Really enjoyed it. I saw the first season. Yeah, love it. I, I don't know if I've seen all of... This, they, they do two seasons, haven't they? Yeah, there might be even three. There's definitely two. Yeah, definitely two. And it's superb. I really enjoyed the first season. And I think I got distracted from seeing all of season two out for some reason. But yeah, really, my, my first impressions of it are really positive. And I, I remember seeing the first season to the end and really enjoying it. Really clever concept. And I, I really like the setting. It's quite unique in animation. Obviously, set in, is it the 60s, I guess? Yeah, kind of 60s, late 60s, 70s, I think. By the American stand-up Bill Burr. Yeah. Um, who's an interesting character. You know, some of his materials I like, some of it I don't. He has a, an interesting kind of... Um, he's almost uh, in Jordan B. Peterson territory uh, sometimes, who I absolutely despise. But he's he also has some decent... Decent stand-up material as well. And interestingly, he writes it with Vince Vaughn's daughter. Ah, wow. So, did you know that? No, I didn't. One of the things that, one of the things I do like about If It's Family as well is is the theme tune, uh, Come and Get Your Love. Yeah, which is also used in Guardians of the Galaxy, which you won't know because you haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy. No, but it's on my list. Out of the superhero films, that's one that you recommended, I think, to me. Yeah, definitely. If you yeah, if you're looking for a film and you think of the superhero ones, it is. It's got genuine kind of humour and warmth to it, and and the the you know the kind of spacey bits are not too kind of intense. It's uh, definitely something you should consider. I'm always trying to convince people to watch that. One of the conceits is the main character uh, is brought up on Earth, but his father was an alien, but he's essentially a human. And he has a cassette that his, that his mother gave him, kind of threaded throughout the film, are songs from this cassette, and that's one, of, and that's the first song on the cassette. Yeah, who's it by? Can you remember? Uh, Redbone. Yes, yeah, well done, Redbone. But I only know that because I just Googled it, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. That's okay. That's how we roll on the show. I shouldn't have said anything, should I? It sounded quite convincing when I said Redbone then. So anyway, we went down a Netflix rabbit hole there, which is perfectly acceptable. And we also got things a little bit wrong way around because we talked about the cold opening before we talking about the, the writer. And again, just a nod to the director, Matt Shackman again. And I have to say, I, I think I, I just enjoyed this. I definitely laugh out loud moments. I really enjoyed the episode. With The, the Gang Turns Black, there's... One of the, you're always waiting for something to happen to see if it will be funny. Yeah. You know, it's one of those kind of setups. You don't know where it's going to go, which in it, in itself is quite entertaining. Yeah. But with this, you've got, you kind of know where it's going. You know what the problems are going to be. You know, essentially, that they're not going to solve the problems and they're going to be back to square one. You know that. And I think that kind of frees you up to enjoy the jokes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. And it's, it's very chaotic from the start. And there's some really stupid decisions taken right at the start that don't really make much sense which sets it up for you like you say you, you do have to work a little bit harder with some of them and you you're kind of waiting for the payoffs and you, you're waiting for the sort of crescendo of different storylines and, and strands but with this it's just i'm not saying they're making it up as they go along but it kind of feels a little bit like they are at times and you know it's just like i say i think just the <coughs> craziness of charlie and mac just they're, they're all in the bar at the same time and it's like literally the very mention of um fight milk and that's enough just to set up that strand and they just literally race away screaming and chanting the, the gang and the writers and everybody involved they all know how much of a hit fight milk was you know when it was previously introduced so i think right from the start when that's put on the table as one of the central parts of the episode you're going to be onto a winner 
uh, fight milk is like a catchphrase, isn't it? Any Anything that they introduce like that, that you can kind of, even though it's imaginary, that you can get behind, people are always going to love, especially when it has that, when it when it's wrapped up in, in something so ridiculous, like Charlie finding crow's eggs. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I had as a note as well, you can you can just see, because obviously the, the fact that fight milk is involved in their need to promote fight milk leads to the inevitable crap homemade video, which is a staple, another staple of the show, which they do quite often. But you can tell how much they love doing in them. And it might be that they're, they're free from the shackles of production and yeah. uh, and writing and whatever. So they can just pour their heart and soul into it. Because you can see, especially with this one, how much they're enjoying it as they're doing it. They've got grins on their faces. They've got grins on their faces when they run out of the bar yeah. talking about fight mode. And they've got grins on their faces when they're doing the video. Video. I think they really believe in the product. I get the impression that they're advertising it. That I've, I've often speculated whether or not they'd ever introduce like an actual fight milk product. Because I'd definitely buy it. <laughs> yeah, especially the one with the uh, the, the crow's fecal matter in it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best lines is in the advert, actually, and it's where Charlie's um, playing the scientist in the advert, and then I think Matt just pelts him with eggs, and he shouts, "No nerds, fight milk!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that's a real laugh out loud moment. <laughs> One of the things that might make it difficult if you if you just dumped into this episode and didn't know whether or whether you'd just seen that whole. It's nothing to do with the show itself, but you need to know the difference between Boko Haram and Boko Raton. Both of those things for just the average person are difficult, and that's why you need um, that line from D to say uh, a city in Florida and a and a terrorist organization because a. Boko Haram in 2017 were big news, but they've totally gone out of the headlines. Yeah, they're not much in, not in fashion anymore. <laughs> no, they're very un- unfashionable terrorist organisation. Um, and then Boko Raton is a really obscure American city. Yeah. I, I bet when both of us first saw this episode, what the hell's Boko Raton? Yeah, I mean, I knew that I knew what Boko Haram was, <laughs> and I knew that Boko Raton or Boko Rattan, which I'm still struggling to pronounce. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew it wasn't Boko Haram, which, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which was enough for me to enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah. When I looked up Boko Raton in, um, uh, on Wikipedia, I was obsessed with being tidy and clean. There's no billboards there, and there's no outdoor car dealerships. <laughs> wow. And it's a tiny city, and the four notable people that listed are really interesting. So Ariana Grande is from there. Ah. There's a guy called... Chris Carabba? Do you know who Chris Carabba is? No. You might know. You've got a little bit in your like musical a pie chart. You've got a little bit of emo in there. Yeah. But he's the guy from Dashboard Confessional. Okay. Do you like Dashboard Confessional? I know Dashboard Confessional. Do you know of them? I know of them. I probably have heard one or two of their songs. But yeah, I'm not going to profess to be a fan. You'd know a couple of theirs. And what one of the reasons they got really big was they... Remember MTV Unplugged was a thing for a while? Yeah. They did one of the very early ones of those. The crowd there knew the song so well. There's a couple of them where the, the crowd themselves sing along. It's really worth listening to, actually. Um, and then the Chris Evert, Chrissy Evert. Do you remember lovely Chrissy Evert, the tennis player? Yeah, she lives there. Yeah. There's a guy called Eric Andre, who's one of the Adult Swim comedians. I know Eric Andre, yeah. I've seen his shows. Yeah. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast about Eric Andre. It's absolutely insane isn't it indeed absolutely that's another podcast on its own but yeah so an um, interesting set of people from uh, Boca Raton but that's enough about Boca Raton should we go to our um, our categories yeah go for it so first of all our character court go for it go for it <laughs> see it gets me every time so our character call outs there's quite a few people in this but there's obviously a few um, kind of pillars to this and just like 
in our previous episode with two Eagles footballers playing you've got two real UFC fighters here and again and I'm sure you you, you add it as the same they do a fantastic job yeah, yeah, Cowboy Cerrone is quite like Don Cerrone. He's quite well known now. He had he had the fight against Conor McGregor fairly recently. Oh, did he? Right, which was a massive payday for him. I'm not an ardent UFC fan. I don't, I don't watch all of it. I've I've got a passing interest in pretty much every sport. So I knew who he was, but what's interesting is since he's been on the episode, it was it was sort of a mid carder, if that's the right terminology. But since then, as I say, he got this big payday with his fight with Conor McGregor. He got, you know, he got beaten up and he lost pretty easily. But yeah, as I say, he rose through the ranks after appearing on the episode. What's the other chap's name in there? I, I only knew Don, Don Cerrone before. Paul Felder, who, whose um, fight name is the Irish Dragon. <laughs> oh, great name. But yeah, they they're both real UFC fighters, and they both do a really good job. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, again, they don't oversell themselves. They know what's required of them, and you know, Rob McElhenney or whoever will have gone to them and said, "It's basically a scene where you're um, where you're puking and shitting. Do you mind doing that?" <laughs> <laughs> the actual Mister UFC Dana White, though, which has you know, I can remember watching at the time and being really impressed that they managed to get his buy-in. And you know, as you say, it's very similar to the last episode in that they've got the buy-in of. You know, two major organisations, the Philadelphia Eagles in our last episode, and then UFC, you know, which is a, you know, a big, successful, you know, multi-global, you know, organisation. And say they've got Dana White, who's like literally the main guy, the main, the Vince McMahon of UFC, as I like to refer to him as, you know, but they, and they've got, a, you know, all the branding, they've got the ring girls, they've got some fighters, they've got like a mock press conference that looked, you know, the way in, that looked very authentic. You know, and again, it adds to the episode much like, the authenticity of the last episode added to it. I didn't realise Dana, uh, Dana White's the guy who grabs the microphone off him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, okay. But yeah, I didn't realise he was Mr. UFC, but it makes sense from the way he is on that stage and just his bearing and, and all that. But you're right, I, I think the kind of the wide shot, the overhead of the press conference is probably a real shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kind of probably asked if they could use it at the end of the day or early in the morning and then built it from there, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's really cool. Like, you don't actually get to see a UFC match. I mean, the episode doesn't, you know, require you to. But, you know, everything else from them, you know, entering the gym, you know, with the boombox, you know, over the shoulder, fist pumping, chanting fight note. You know, and I, I don't, I don't recognise the guy who speaks to them when they first enter the gym. I'm not sure whether he's... A UFC guy, or he's just an actor pretending to be a you. You know, you know the guy I mean. When they first enter the gym, he says, "Turn that Cancun pussy ass bullshit off." You've stepped, you've stomped all over the scenes category and the lines category there. <laughs> that, no, no, that's fine. That's how it goes. But yeah, he's he's really good as well. But yeah, last last shout out to the UFC fighters who are really good. And Don Chironi's. I just got to say one last thing. His hat is amazing. I'm not a big cowboy hat fan. I wouldn't probably wear one. But if I was going to wear a cowboy hat, that is a good one. <laughs> yeah, I. I, I Often spoken about wearing a cowboy hat. I've got no sort of authentic <laughs> sort of claim or justification to ever wear one, but I would like to wear one. Well, that that can go on your um, on the possibility of UFC names, the Murfield Cowboy. <laughs> that means something different. It means you're very like you're not very proficient at doing electrician work. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's accurate as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm not very proficient with it. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the terminology cowboy has been robbed of all its glamour in, in the UK, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. And it, yeah, you're right. And it used to be a very glamorous thing. I'll bring it back. The other main character who contri- contributes a lot is the, the TV anchor, Chet Wallum. Yeah, yeah. 
played by a guy called Bob Wiltfong. Very interesting name. Oh, but he's a staple, apparently, of The Daily Show, which I'm not too up on. No. And in a, in a film called Definitely Maybe, so which I don't think is about Oasis. And um, as I've said many times, I wouldn't watch it anyway because I don't like Oasis. I really don't like Oasis. Slightly irritating. Anywho, but yeah, he did deserves a shout out because in terms of like a TV anchor who's like slightly charming, slightly good looking, what would you say, buttoned up, slightly irritating, does a fantastic job. And then the only one, the only other one who gets to do anything vaguely in, in, interesting is a guy called Chichi Gamba, who do, who's the leader of the Boko Haram. And he does a great job as his. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The grin at the end of it, like the menacing toothy grin, just makes it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And they must have loved doing that scene because they actually get to fire their guns. <laughs> <laughs> I watched them in the background and, and you know, they're actually all firing. They're the blanks, obviously, but, you know, health and safety. But they get to fire their guns, so that's, that's really good. Yeah. And obviously there's a huge, absolutely huge dog that appears in this. So in terms of scenes... The three I've written down, and as always, you're welcome to contribute more. For number one, arri- the arrival at the UFC gym. Just because they're so keen when they get in there and, you know, with the music, the, the way that they're so absolutely enthusiastic about everything they've got. And then, so that, and then, and there's two great things as well, just to round it off. When he calls it the you know, Cancun pussy ass um, techno or whatever he calls it. Cancun pussy ass bullshit, yeah. Mac immediately turns on Charlie and blames him. <laughs> so i told him not to do that i told him <laughs> then he goes into that weird speech about how he loves to dominate men it's just f- mac in that scene is incredible yeah the best thing about that scene as well is is, is the end of it so you, you kind of bracing for them just to be turned away and just to be sort of like to press the reset button and, and they find another way to get in but obviously the scene ends he gives them he berates them a little bit but then he says oh yeah uh, these two guys are absolutely crushing it they're big fans of the drink and then and they're in they've got their in and then the next scene they're just sort of scrabbling around the dressing rooms just looking for people <laughs> so I, lo- I love the fact that always sunny does that it doesn't like i say again referring back to the last episode when they had the the flat tire or the broken axle sorry in the minibus on the way to the super bowl it wasn't this sort of period of frustration where they're scrambling to find a way to get back on the road. It was all we're immediately back on track. And with this, it's like you hit the sort of roadblock of the guy accosting them when they enter. But then, you know, the next scene, they're actually backstage, like you say, like scrambling around the dressing room trying to find people. And that's something they do really, really well. You know, you know that they are as unconfident as we are that that it will work. And then when it works, they're as delighted as we are. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't expect it to work. And that's a a real feature of the show. That happens quite often where you know that they have the confidence when they're building something or when they leave the bar. By the time they get to it, confidence probably evaporates and they're not believing in it. But sometimes (laughs) sometimes it still happens and they're delighted as you are when when they pull it off. Yeah, that's a great scene. Then uh, the second scene, we've mentioned the UFC weigh-in, but just so well done. So well done. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, it's just very, very authentic. And just like the atmosphere in the <laughs> where, where they're in the seats and uh, they introduce the two fighters and, and Max starts doing his karate chops. <laughs> yeah, exactly, in the seats, yeah, because he's so excited. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the most excited he can be is, is when he's doing his karate chops. So good. And there's also a lot of tension, isn't there? Because at that point, you know, they're excited, but they know that if things don't go to plan, that they're in a lot of trouble. So I think Charlie says, how are we getting out of here? And Max has off scoped all the exits. Here, here, and here. <laughs> but then there's the yeah. other bit as well, which is brilliant, where um, 
Cowboy Sharoni's um, opponents introduced and like we got to get him on fight we got to get him on fight because they're just sort of just so unexpectedly or like uncontrollably excited about the idea of expanding their operation <laughs> yeah and then the third scene I've written down is got to choose one out of two so which of the TV show scenes so the first or the second I have my reasoning but what do you reckon you mean the the daytime TV show where they're doing the press little press address yeah, the TV show show appearances. Which uh, which the first or the second would you choose? My favourite out of the two, I think, is the second one with the just because of the interaction that Dennis has with the dog. The second because of Dee's outfit, where she's trying to look like a probably a female American politician. She's looking a little bit Hillary Clinton and just yeah, looks yeah. ridiculous. There's that, and but just uh, Dennis's faces, you know, when things start to crumble, <laughs> and the the very last face and i think glenn howerton is just so in control of both of those yeah those scenes they're about him like as he says in his head controlling the narrative but as an actor he's also kind of everything revolves around him he's so good yeah and it's like there's like a dual purpose the character's involvement in the predicament you know one he wants to get out of the predicament but two he just sees it as a platform for himself personally anyway it's the sort of environment where he sees himself as thriving. Yeah, and the other call out, we mentioned it before for for these, is the tweets. They decide to run the tweets on the bottom of the screen. And it's such a good idea and so well done. It's so sunny. Yeah, they're almost instantaneous, aren't they, the reactions? So literally as they're speaking, like the, the mood of the tweets change. One of my favourites is one of the early ones, which when D leans over his shoulder and it's the, the tweet is, why is she interrupting the guy? Hashtag skank, hashtag go eagles. <laughs> and then ugly 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 hashtag i'd still do it though <laughs> and the second one the best tweet is wolf Kohler is piss <laughs> and there's a hashtag right at the end uh, which is for the puppies <laughs> uh so good such a good idea um and and again a real kind of nod to the zeitgeist that Rob McElhenney knows what he's doing and, and putting Sonny in, in the in the real world in a really clever way. Yeah. And it, there's a setup for it as well with the 24-hour clock. Dennis says to Dee, they're coming down on you on the, with the fury of middle-aged men who've achieved nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is essentially what Twitter is, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, of all ages. Men of all ages have achieved nothing. Absolutely. It's just a sewer. Well, interesting thing with that scene, with the scenes with the clocks, they mention Bed, Bath and Beyond, which obviously we don't have over here. But interesting one for you, it's probably American version of Home Bargains. Ah, okay. I, 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 there's a good way of placing it, actually. I, I, I've, I think I remember seeing it when I've been to America. But yeah, there's always the cultural references in always, always something that you've got to sort of use your imagination with. But yeah. No, thanks for the, the illustration. It's helpful. Yeah, do you miss your days at home bargains? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't miss my days at home. I don't miss having my pockets searched when I started work and having my pockets searched when I finished work. <laughs> no. It's standard practice. Dennis, again, just he calls, he says, women by definition are shrill. <laughs> uh. The scene as well with, with the dog, I just think it's brilliant. Like, the, 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 his, his insecurities and the way. He talks and how again he feels like he's owning the situation. And he sort of kind of gets away with it. And in the first interaction he has with the presenter, he's on, not a fan of dogs, Mr. Reynolds. And he kind of gives a, a response and he's almost got, like kind of carried it off. And then he goes, you know what, I'm not done. And then, and then, he, just, then he just kind of carries on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can't help. He can't help himself. He can't help being Dennis. His Dennis just rises to the top, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So 
In terms of lines, obviously I've got loads. Uh, we've mentioned Cancun pussy-ass bullshit. Yeah, got that one. When the uh, ring girls say to them, we're not into your your weird diarrhea drink. <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. <laughs> we're a couple of crow enthusiasts is a great line. Yeah. Uh, and when Dee says to Frank when he's getting ready for the show, put your facts away, we're just here to apologise, bozo. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I had that one written down as well. But the three lines that I picked out as my favourite three, and again, feel free. This is going to touch all of Frank's fluids. <laughs> <laughs> Between the three of you, we could be opening a bakery with all the muffin tops I'm seeing here. Yeah. Which which is great because he's he's also doing it with his laser pointer. Yeah. Pointing at the ring girls like belly buttons. Just awful, awful. And But I think my favourite line from the show was, I should be able to eat a bucket of fried dog at a chicken fight. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, that's that's the best thing about Dennis is that he lives in his own moral universe. He doesn't sort of subscribe to anything else, and he genuinely believes everything that he thinks is right, and then everything else is skewed. He sets his own sort of like moral benchmarks. He expects everybody else to adhere to, and he never misses an opportunity to share those moral benchmarks with everybody else. And he and he fully believes he's not. You know, you get the impression that the character fully believes what he's saying. Dennis fully believes in what he's not trying to cause a reaction he actually <laughs> these are the things that, he, that the character actually believes 100 percent. Uh, did you have any other lines i had a few that are probably just extensions of some of the ones that you mentioned so the scene where they're first introduced to the ufc fighters um or i think it might it's either that or where the first i think about where the first meet the guy went in at the gym and he says i've always been passionate about dominating other men that's power and in a lot of ways that's love <laughs> it is great that because again that's um that's max mask slipping and there's no reason for him to introduce it there at that stage there's absolutely no reason for it and it's countered by charlie looking askance at him and then <laughs> and then trying to explain it away like he could like he could there's the bit as well again in the tv show appearance with dennis d and frank where Frank makes the um, attempt to sort of defend Boko Haram. And he, he tries to justify it by saying, oh, they're just doing Africa. <laughs> and he talks about mosquitoes being bigger killers, doesn't he? And the, the fastest growing market being Muslim extremists. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had one more. I had one more, which is again where is the talking to the ring girls. And it's towards the end of the scene. And after they call it a diarrhea drink. Mac just gets enraged because Charlie's Charlie's approach to it is that they're trying to expand the brand and, and target women. But you can tell all the way through that Mac's not involved, not not on board with the idea of selling it to women. And he just gets in a, a real rage about it. He's like, it's not for women. It was never made for women. <laughs> yeah, and as you say, the really funny bit of that is his rage and the way he just yeah. instantly goes from naught to 20 on the rageometer. But it's an interesting <laughs> point that, that just occurred to me. Charlie for all his um, stupidity and backwardness and charm, is the one who's usually the businessman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, with the kit and mittens. Yeah. With the licensing and also with the, uh, what's it, the, the timeshare. He's kind of the leader in that. So they always leave it to Charlie to be the businessman. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The other thing as well in that in that scene, obviously like Charlie's the businessman there and then Mac has his rage fit. But they reach a conclusion and... They say, we've got to get back to the lab and get some more crows. And then they just high five. <laughs> Such a good episode. So packed with great scenes and great, great lines. Yeah. So many good lines. You could literally go 20, 25 lines from that episode easily. Yeah. And that's what I was, I was kind of alluding to at the start. Because the setup is so easy for this. It's such a simple setup that it's just a line fest. None of the lines really 
have to carry the weight of moving the plot forward. No, no, definitely. And it moves very quickly as well. So I keep mentioning like um, Mac and Charlie like storming out of the bar in excitement. And the next time you see them, they're fully decked out in fight milk merchandise. Like there's no sort of, <laughs> there's no sort of, you have to wait and be patient for the payoff. It's like, right, bam, fight milk. And, and they're just all in for the rest of the episode. So in next category, ickiness, there's obviously one very icky scene. The poor old UFC fighters. Yeah. Uh, vomiting and shitting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the one that sticks out to me. I can't think of, unless that's just overshadowing everything else, I can't really think of any other icky bits. But one, one of the good the things about that scene is the Foley's are really good. The sound effects are really good in that scene, which adds to the ickiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's really well done, is that? And it's, it's, I suppose it's quite cleverly done in that it creates the point where the UFC fighters are fans of the drink, which obviously creates a bit of mystery at first, because obviously Charlie and Mac learn that the two guys are big fans of the drink. And then as a viewer, you're thinking, oh, maybe it's actually a, a good drink. Maybe Frank succeeded in making a, an effective protein shake or whatever. But then obviously the way that the payoff and the way that they explain it is that they're using it as a, like for its laxative effects essentially. So <laughs> I don't think there is any other rickiness in it. And I don't have any nits to pick at all about this episode. I don't know about you. Uh, one of my nits to pick is how they managed to appear on the daytime TV show on two consecutive days. With you and I both having a background in PR stroke comms stroke journalism. Yeah, that'd be the dream. <laughs> Well, yeah, and it's like, well, we made a mess the first day, so we've invited them back on. And then I guess the other bit picked out, which, you know, in a strange way, I've put it as a nitpick. Also, in a weird way, it's also one of my favourite parts about the episode, and it's sort of the the end of the the story and, like, how the reset button is pressed. Uh, With um, Wolf Cola, they obviously reach this point where they haven't succeeded and they haven't managed to reset the narrative and that's it, that everything's doomed. And then it, it emerges that, there's another scandal that's replaced uh, Wolf Cola. It happens to be fight milk. And then it's just sort of sort of squashed in. It's like, oh yeah, we just at this point we just started loading it with human growth hormone because nothing else was working. And I do love that line. I love the fact that that's how the press the reset but is very quickly done. Like you, you, you've made the point before that the the show and the characters themselves are experts at immediately returning to normal. And the fact that that's how it's, it's not sort of alluded to that they're putting the wrong things in it. You know, you get the idea, you get, you, you know, they're like, they've changed the formula and they're putting more crows in it. So then it's like, oh yeah, the reason they do it is to load a new human growth hormone. As you say, that's an interesting knit, but not really a knit. It's a part of the makeup of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So who won this show? I have an idea. My view would be Frank. Oh, right, okay. Well, my view would be... Wow, who's your... Name? None of the gang win it, but probably the real winners of this are the TV channel, WCYZ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you're extending it beyond the gang, then oh, everybody's a winner, really, apart from the gang. So the, ultimately, the, the Cowboy Sharone, he, he cuts weight, he does what he wants to do. You don't see whether or not he wins his fight, but he sort of emerges, you know, unscathed from everything. Obviously, the gang themselves don't get what they want. Dennis and Dee don't get what they want. Frank and Char- uh, Mac and Charlie don't get what. I suppose with Frank, I, I, I don't think he's that bothered. I think he's probably the, the least bothered, which to me makes him out of the gang the biggest winner. That's a good point. And Frank's fluids probably just one of the other fluids will have taken precedence when he's had to cut the other two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love Frank's fluids to be a real thing. I would dispute um, the the cowboy uh, being a winner because we are presuming that to get to that weight, he had to drink the drink with the crow's fecal matter in it. Also, he'll have been done for the. Hum- 
human growth hormone as well, I assume. <laughs> yeah, so God knows what it was like after the fight. <laughs> I'm quite quite surprised watching it again, you know, for, for, for us to record this. Thinking about it, like, you know, we've made the comparisons already, you know, Philadelphia Eagles involved in a very sort of safe way. But UFC, they actually, if you think about it, they're, they're prepared to put their brand in a storyline that concerns human growth hormone and doping, you know, which is, you know, fair play to them for doing that. I'm, you know, personally, I don't see it as a negative for the brand at all. I think it's brilliant that they're able to poke fun at the issues in the way that they have. But, you know, in, in combat sport and in, in all sport, that sort of the doping side of it is a very contentious thing, you know, and it can drive sponsors away. So I'm quite interested that we give the green light for them to talk about that. Well, also, I, I'm sure they wouldn't want their fighters to be talking about how desperate they are and they'll do anything to cut weight. Yeah. That's quite brave as well, so. Well, there's a guy that, um, there to change, I, I don't know if it was UFC, I think there was another promotion and like you said, this was very brutal when the fighters are trying to cut weight and I think there's a, there's a guy that actually died because he like starved himself in a sort of brutal regimen just to make weight. So they changed it so it wasn't a single way in it was like they took a series of average weights over a longer period just to discourage people from like crash dieting so yeah it's interesting you got the the, the hgh and the, the doping but also like the weight cutting which you know as you said two of the more contentious parts of like combat sports so you know as i say fair play to ufc for opening those those doors really and letting them talk about that you know, in the context of their brand. Good combat sports uh, making weight knowledge from you there. Well, I don't know how I know that. I, th- I think I, I think I read it somewhere. I remember, obviously, it's shocking that somebody died from trying to cut weight, but they did definitely change the way that you would do it. So I'd be awful at cutting weight. An excellent episode yet again. So it's time to go to Agent Jack Bauer, our re- random number generator. Yeah. So to decide what we're going to watch next. I've put in 1 and 14 for the series. Tell me how many times to press the generate button. Uh, twice. So series five. Series five. Two thousand and nine. How many episodes in series five? There are twelve. Twelve. So it's a lot of episodes. So how many jabs is Jack getting now? Uh, three. Series twelve. Uh, five. Episode eight. It's, we've mentioned this episode, this episode already, and it's Paddy's Pub, home of the original kitten mittens. Ah, oh, there you go. The businessman, Charlie, the businessman to the forefront. Charlie, the businessman. Yeah, I'll just make a note of that. Five eight kitten mittens and another episode where the home the home video is is to the forefront as well. Another fantastic home video. So that's uh, that's great. That's something else to really look forward to next time. But it's been an absolute pleasure as ever. So goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Go for me, go for me, go. Go for me, go for me, go.